Hello, and thank you for listening to the MIT Press Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Gondek. And today I'm going to be speaking with Nassim Yanofsky about his new book, The Outer Limits of Reason, What Science, Mathematics, and Logic Cannot Tell Us. Nassim S. Yanofsky is professor in the Department of Computer and Information Science at Brooklyn College and the Graduate Center of City University of New York. He's a co-author of Quantum Computing for Computer Scientists. Nassim Yanofsky, thanks for taking time to talk to the MIT Press Podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. As you point out in your book, The Outer Limits of Reason, What Science, Mathematics, and Logic Cannot Tell Us, if we're going to explore that boundary, we better have an idea of what we mean by reason. So how do you want readers to consider reason as we read this book? So there are a lot of different parts of reason, as, you know, as the subtitle says. There's, there's science, there's math, there's computers, there's logic, there's physics. There's, there's a lot of different parts of reason. But um, finding a, a, a characterization of saying what reason is per se, that's a little bit harder. And I spent time looking at what you know previous philosophers and scientists have said about this. And I go through some of these possible definitions in the book, and I find I found them lacking, and 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 um, yeah, they needed to be looked at. Um, and so uh, I was looking and thinking about it myself. How do you define reason? So broadly speaking, reason is a method of finding information or a method of acquiring knowledge. And that's, that's fine. But the, po the point is there are other methods of acquiring knowledge. For example, astrology. Now, astrology is, if you open any major newspaper in the U.S., is going to have an astrology section. Um, and it is a method of a finding information. But it's not reason. It's 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 you know wrong. You know you should not follow astrology to figure out what you should do today. Um, you should find other methods, right? So astrology is a method, but it's not the right method. So question: What is a reasonable process? What makes something reasonable? And it's very hard to describe, um, in part because the definition of reason changes over time, or what's reasonable changes. For example, when Pasteur came up with his theory of germs, um, people thought that that was wrong and, and it was crazy. Um, in the medieval times, people came up with negative numbers and people thought that you know that's wrong. I mean, if you have five oranges and you take away eight oranges, how many oranges do you have? And And the answer is, there's no such thing as negative three oranges. You can take away eight oranges if you have five oranges. So, so negative numbers was considered a radical idea, but obviously now negative numbers and imaginary numbers are, are, are part of reason. So the definition of reason changes over time. And even, even, even in contemporary times, uh, you know, there's a branch of physics called string theory, and it says that the universe is made out of little, little strings that uh, are flying around. Uh, question, you know, is that a reasonable thing or not? Well, some scientists say yes and some scientists say no. So it's hard to give an exact definition of what's reasonable, what's, what's part of reason, what's, you know, science, fi science fiction um, and stuff like that. But at the end of the book, I do come to some type of definition and I say basically reason is defined by its, by its limits. In other words, the limitations of reason define reason. And again, because the limits, we learn different limitations of reason, um, it changes as time goes on, and um, the definition is somewhat in flux. So I give some type of definition, but it's not um, solid 
you know, it, it changes over time and within different people. So should we think of reason as the ability to find an objective form of knowledge? I think of the scientific method or mathematical proofs in which once the results have been verified, anyone at any time can do them again and get the same answer. Um, so, so that's a good characterization of what reason is, namely it's objective. In other words, different people doing it at different times being done, um, that, that should give you the right answer. But let's go back to the negative numbers. Okay, you know, that's objective. I mean, you know, eight mi uh, five minus eight is always negative three. But again, at a certain point, that was still considered to be a loony idea, uh, the square root of negative one. So that's a mathematical thing. And mathematicians were walking around and they were finding all different properties of this, you know, imaginary numbers and objectively, but it was still considered a strange thing. Um, um, in physics, there was that concept of ether for a while. Um, um, and, the, well, there they couldn't find experiments that were able to conform it. So, yes, the scientific method should be a reasonable process, but there are many other you know, branches of science and branches of reason, and it's hard to characterize you know, what is a scientific process and what is not a scientific process. Quantum mechanics you know, brings this out shockingly. We run up against the limits of reason many times in this book, but those limits end up being a pretty small cast of characters that are pretty adept at changing costumes, depending upon the area of knowledge that they are involved in. Could you talk about how you categorize these limits? Yes, and, and this is the, the most shocking part of, the, of, of my research and, and the book. Namely, although the limits show up in many diverse areas, so again, science, math, computers, logic, all different areas and different types of limits, but there really are... Um, a few patterns that they all follow, and 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 not only that, not only so. So I give two different types of classifications, namely one, how are limits found, um, and two, what are the limits? And I show that they can be categorized into a very small uh, group. So, for example, how are limits found? Let me just give you two examples of the way limits are found. One is something called a paradox. Okay, and there are a lot of different definitions of what a paradox is, but one of them is you make an assumption and you somehow get a contradiction. You, you logically, you take your assumption further and you get a contradiction. Now, there are no real contradictions in the universe, so how could you possibly get an, a, a contradiction or a false fact? And the answer is you must have made some loony assumption. The assumption must have been wrong. So in some sense, a paradox is a way of testing whether or not something can be added to reason or not. Your assumption, can it be added, can it not be? Well, if you get to a contradiction, you cannot add it. If you don't get to a contradiction, then maybe you can add it. So paradoxes show up. Now, um, uh, I'll just give you an example. You can assume that a computer can solve a certain problem, but then you you take that logically and follow what happens, and you get a contradiction. Now, there's no such thing as contradictions with computers. Computers are physical devices. You can't have a contradiction about them. So there must have been something wrong with your assumption, and your assumption was that the computer can solve a certain problem. Conclusion, the computer can't solve that problem. So that's a way of describing a certain limitation. Um, but the amazing thing is that, that show, the, those paradoxes show up all over and in philosophy and, and, and different things. So paradoxes is one method of a few that they show um, that shows up these different uh, limitations. 
Another method is something called um, a self-referential paradox. It's a type of paradox. And uh, the classic example of a self-referential paradox is something called the liar paradox. Um, the liar paradox says, this sentence is false. Now, if you think about this sentence and you don't want to get a headache, you think about it and you say, this sentence is false. Is it true or is it false? If it's true, then what does it say? It says it's false. Then it's false. If it's false, then it's false that this sentence is false. Well, then it's true. So you get some type of, it's a declarative sentence, and yet it's neither true nor false. Um, now, the reason why that paradox happened is because language has the ability to talk about itself. So this sentence is false is a sentence talking about itself. Okay, and that's self-reference. The, the amazing thing is that there are many other branches of self there are many other versions of self-reference. So um, computers can talk about themselves. In fact, um, the operating system of a computer is a program that deals with programs. So computers can talk about itself, and therefore there will be limitations in computers. Um, there's a famous result called Gödel's incompleteness theorem, which is a, a shocking result of the 1930s. And basically, what Gödel showed was mathematics can talk about itself, and therefore mathematics, although it can do amazing things, whatever that there's some type of limitation there. And so those are two ways. Um, those are two, you know, paradoxes and self-referential paradoxes. Those are two methods that show up all over the book um, of showing certain limitations. But besides that, even the types of limitations that I have, they they can be characterized, and I characterize them as four different things. So although they're in many diverse areas, and although there are many of them, but I characterize them as four different types. And I'll just briefly go through them. One is physical limitations that there's a physical, physically such a thing can't happen. So like I said, certain computers to solve certain problems cannot exist. Um, time travel, well, we all travel forward in time, but traveling backwards in time, you get what's called a grandfather paradox or something like that. Um, and that contradiction shows that physically time travel cannot exist. Another type of thing, another type of limitation is a practical limitation. So um, there are certain um, computer problems, let's go the traveling salesman problem. And basically, let's say um, a traveling salesman wants to hit 100 different cities exactly once, each city exactly once. And he wants the shortest route, so he can do it in the shortest amount of time. Um, that problem is solvable by a computer. A computer can solve it. A physical computer can solve it. However, it will take trillions and trillions of centuries to solve that problem. Um, if, all the, if all the atoms in the universe were a computer, that problem will not be able to be solved in a normal amount of time. So, so that's a practical limitation. The computer exists, um, but it can't be done. Another thing that's popular, uh, the butterfly effect. So the butterfly effect is um, is is something that um, would take millions uh, well well basically it says that a butterfly flapping its wings in Brazil can cause or affect tornadoes in Texas now that's something about weather that says something interesting about weather, but it says basically that small changes can make major different changes. And the point is, there's no way in the world we can keep track of all the butterflies 
conclusion, um, we can't uh, know what the weather will be. So those are practical limitations of, again, uh, of, of what we're dealing with. Um, another thing is mind construct limitation. In other words, we have certain ideas in our head, and we like mathematics, and and we have to limit ourselves from doing certain things. So something you learn in fourth grade is you're not allowed to divide by zero, because you'll get contradictions. Um, and not only that, but we say dividing by zero doesn't even make sense. It's beyond the bounds of reason. So those are examples of. It's not a physical limitation, it's not a practical limitation, but it's something that we have to avoid within our mind. And finally, the last type of limitation is what are called limitations of intuition. And namely, it's, it's less a limitation, but it's something wrong with our perception of the universe. For example, quantum mechanics tells us some very, very strange things about the universe that are counterintuitive. In other words, our intuition are, is wrong about them. Well, we have to somehow adjust our intuition and figure out you know, what's, what's, what's wrong and what's right. We have to adjust our intuition to conform with quantum mechanics. Um, relativity theory says that things change their size um, if we're going the speed of light or going close to the speed of light. Well, um, that's counterintuitive because we believe that you know, this, this phone that I'm holding is six inches long and it's going to be like that forever, but it's not really true. So um, there are different intuitions that we have to adjust and these, there are different, these are limitations of intuition. So how does this book relate to epistemology? Are you trying to point out where the limits are to eliminate fruitless areas of endeavor? Epistemology is a branch of philosophy that's been around for 3,000 years and discussing the limits of, 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 of human knowledge. Um, what, what I'm trying to show is that recently, and, and most of the results in the book, most, not all, but most of the results in the book are less than 100 years old. You know, this idea of chaos theory and this idea of girdles and completeness theory and quantum mechanics and relativity theory, they're all less than 100 years old, uh, 100, 110, 115 years old. And so what I'm trying to say is that Recently, and of course, you know, 100 years in, you know, two, in thousands of years of culture, recently science has gotten into the epistemology business also and have told, said what, you know, limits, what limits there are. And um, I'm trying to say what they're saying. I'm not, I'm not being disparaging about anybody, you know, anything else. And of course, the limits that the philosophers have talked about for thousands of years, in some sense, they do exist. In some sense, science has shown that, you know, they're not really there. Um, uh, but the key point is a lot of epistemology was what's called part of metaphysics, namely something that couldn't be proven or discussed or, or like you talked about in the beginning, namely objective. It wasn't objective. So, you know, this philosopher would say that and that philosopher would say a different thing. Um, what I'm sticking to here is scientific limitations of reason or reasonable reason limitations of reason that are objective. In other words, uh, Gödel's incompleteness theorem, every mathematician in the world would agree to Gödel's incompleteness theorem. Um, quantum mechanics, the fact that we have limitations of our intuition of quantum mechanics. Now, there's a lot of battles among quantum, people who study quantum mechanics. What is the, how do you understand this? But the results of it, the fact that there are limitations, 
every physicist would agree. So in some sense, I'm trying to update epistemology. Or not, I mean, it's not me. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing in lots of results from other people and, and categorizing them. But um, I'm trying to say, look, there's a more modern version of epistemology that's, that's far more interesting um, and far more, you know, uh, like I said, it's objective. And it's, these are scientific or reasonable reason, uh, limitations of reason. And that's, that's, that's interesting. Nasa Nesjanovsky, the author of The Outer Limits of Reason, What Science, Mathematics, and Logic Cannot Tell Us. Thanks for being on the MIT Press podcast today. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. For more information about this and other titles, please visit our website at mitpress.mit.edu. Don't forget, you can find the MIT Press on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash MIT Press. And you can also follow us on Twitter, where we are, at MIT Press. Thanks for listening to this episode of the MIT Press podcast. Copyright 2013, the MIT Press. All rights reserved.